reading coming? Is it going well? Have you slipped up a little bit? Maybe missed a couple days? Maybe a week? That's all right. Pick up and keep reading again. I hope you've had a chance to check out some of the blogs written by different people. Man, it is, it is encouraging and it's so neat to see different perspectives from different brothers and sisters on different passages in Scripture. You know, what was really cool is that on Valentine's Day, we actually, part of our reading encompassed the part where Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples if you love one another. How cool is that? How cool is that? So we're continuing in our Apostles' Creed series today. So as we have done every week so far, would you stand with me as we recite the creed together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that, Lord, you would work, that it's your truth that's communicated. Father, may, may you clearly communicate what you have for us to learn and understand today. Father, we thank you that we don't have to make up truth, but that you have given us truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've looked at a couple of different things so far. We looked at the idea, I believe. What does it mean to believe? We've looked at God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, a personal yet powerful God. We've looked at Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Who is this Jesus person? He's the Messiah. He is our Lord, and he's the son of God. He's equal with God Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, how Jesus was the God-man. He was fully God and fully man. And last week we looked at how Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And today we come to the most, without, without question, the most controversial phrase in the Apostles' Creed. He descended to hell. and then we're, So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at that today. We're not going to spend tons of time on that phrase. And then we're going to look at the resurrection. He descended to hell. What in the world does that mean? Why is it included in the creed? And I don't know if, you, if you've spent any time um, reciting the creed before. Maybe in your history growing up, some churches include this phrase, he descended to hell. Some have removed it. Some say he descended to Hades. Some say he descended to the dead. And some say... He was crucified, dead, and buried, and then on the third day, he rose again. So what does it mean? Why is it included by some and not included by others? And why did we include it as a part of working through the Apostles' Creed? Now, I hope, I hope you don't think it was just something that we threw in there just to have it as a part of the creed. 
Um, this, this is one of the oldest creeds that we have. And I hope that you remember in the beginning we said that we're not teaching the creed, but instead scripture. That the creed functions as almost like the moon, if you remember that illustration, and how the sun shines its light on the moon and we see the moon at night. I know even amongst our own congregation, there are different perspectives on what this means and whether or not it should be included. I, it, was, it was funny, not funny, but interesting as I've talked with some of you and, and had some different conversations where some said, well, this is, yeah, I, I think this, or I think this. Interestingly enough, the, the phrase he descended to hell is the one part of the Apostles' Creed that is not foundational to the Christian faith. Right? We talk about who God is, who Jesus is, that he, he was crucified, dead, and buried, and he rose again. Those are all key. They're foundational. But you can disagree on the statement, he descended to hell. And we're, we're going to get into that in a minute. My hope with you this morning is to share two possibilities of what this could possibly mean. But they are debated. We're going to look at scripture and see what scripture has to say. In no way am I trying to say um, that you have to agree with one or not the other, or one is better than the other, or that either of them is necessarily what you have to believe. I'm going to explain why it is included in the creed and some scripture that explains it. However, let me clarify that we follow scripture first and not a creed. Before we get into the scripture and, and what, uh, what I think they're actually trying to communicate by saying that, is what we need to understand what they're not saying. When they say he descended to hell, the statement is not being made that Jesus had any suffering to do after the cross. The statement is not being made that there was, and, and this is actually a theology that some people have, that there was a battle fought between Jesus and Satan for, for the kingdom, right? That Jesus died and he descended to hell, and, and, and it almost sounds like something that you see in Hollywood, right? An epic sword fight where somehow Jesus barely beats Satan, that's heresy. I believe that when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The price had been paid. It's not saying that those who died, and we'll get to that in a minute, had another chance following death to become saved. It's not saying that either. So it's not saying that Jesus went to a place of suffering. He did not suffer after the cross. It was finished. It was paid. It was done. The early church, in looking at this phrase, he descended to hell, would not have understood it to be any type of suffering that Jesus endured. So let's dig in. Where did Jesus go between his crucifixion and his resurrection? Jesus tells us. Luke 23, 39 through 43 says this. One of the criminals who were hanged, we go back to the crucifixion, and Jesus has uh, a criminal on either side, right, being crucified uh, beside him. And, and one of the criminals says this. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and and us. It almost sounds like Sunday school this morning, right, Justin? When, when they said, listen, go prove it. If you're really Jesus, prove it. But the other, the other criminal rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is what Jesus says to the criminal. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me 
in paradise. So where did Jesus go? Between crucifixion and resurrection, well, we know that Jesus went to... All right, there's three of you with me this morning. Let's try it again. We know that Jesus went to paradise. So where is paradise? What does paradise mean? Paradise isn't in hell, right? That wouldn't make any sense. In the Bible, the word Gehenna is, is what is used to talk about eternal punishment. This is the place that is the final judgment, what we would refer to as the lake of fire, Gehenna. But there's another place that is talked about in Scripture as a place um, where people go after they die, before the final judgment. And that place is known as Hades. Sometimes in your Bible it's translated as the word hell. Right? Especially in the King James, the word hell is used. But oftentimes when we think of the word hell, what do we think of? We think of torture and suffering and, and a terrible situation. Yet the word Hades is made up of two different places. Made up of two different places. Luke chapter 16, um, 19 to 31 speaks of Hades and speaks of what it looks like. You have two places in Hades. You have Abraham's side, or if you have the King James, it's called Abraham's bosom, right? Or what is also referred to as paradise. And then you have a place of suffering. Now, are you familiar with the story in Luke 16? Let me read it to you. It's not on the screen. It says this, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted Every, uh, sumptuously every day. And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus who was covered in sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, the other side, the side of torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So we're, we're given this idea, and there's this chasm that exists between the two in this place of Hades. Now, one of the beliefs with this statement, he descended to hell, and as, as you heard me say, he descended to Hades to the place of the dead. Some people take this phrase to mean that when Jesus died, he went to paradise, and why did he go to paradise? Well, there were those who were waiting for the redemption of the Savior. Think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had lived their lives in faith. It was counted to them as righteousness, but the penalty for sin had not been paid yet. So they waited for the Redeemer to come do that. 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19 gives us an understanding of, again, where Jesus, and this is part of where the argument is used, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the spirit, in which, after he dies, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Between crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus went to proclaim to the spirits in prison. Well, who are we talking about when we talk about the spirits in prison? Some people believe that the spirits in prison were the people or, or the demonic spirits that were on the other side of Hades. And so Jesus, in, vic in complete victory, after finishing all of it on the cross, goes to Hades to break free those who had been waiting for the Redeemer. What a beautiful picture as he comes down and says, it's been paid, it is done. In which he also preaches, or the word would actually be proclaims, declares to the spirits who are in prison, I won. It is finished. 
the price has been paid. So that's one view. Some people agree with that and, and some people do not. Another, another perspective on, um, on this phrase, he descended to hell, which actually has to do with a type of suffering, wasn't introduced until about the 1500s when John Calvin talked about a metaphorical type of hell that Christ endured on the cross. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross, right? There was, there was a, a physical suffering. Horrible, immense pain and torture. There was emotional suffering. He was abandoned by all. But the greatest form of suffering that Christ endured was a spiritual suffering on the cross. To which the, the sins of your sins and my sins were placed on his shoulders. Every lie, every time that we were arrogant, every form of greed was placed on his shoulders. Everything from David and Bathsheba to the little lie that somebody told yesterday weighed on his shoulders on the cross and at that moment and we can't explain it completely and you know what there are things in the bible that we can't explain and that's okay in deuteronomy it says that the secret things are that of the lord and, and but in matthew 27 46 we see for the first time in all of history and, and for the last time in all of history something happened in the relationship between the father and the son Jesus, in taking all of the sins of the world on his shoulders, here Matthew 27, 46, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time where Jesus calls out to the Father and calls him, my God, my God, instead of my father, my father. My God, my God, why is that? The sins of the world are on his shoulders. He is taking the wrath of God. Matt Chandler, in his defense of this perspective, says the following. Separations from God, that's the hell that Christ experiences. He says that hell is the absence of the presence of God to bless and is simply the presence of God to judge. And on the cross, Christ felt. One of the reasons that he um, defends keeping this statement in the Apostles' Creed is he says it brings to our own realization, it helps us to understand how horrid and despicable our sin truly is. So there are two thoughts on why that could possibly be included in the Creed. Both with, with scriptural support, um, you might not agree with, with either of them, and that's okay. If, if you have a different conviction based on other scriptures. But I wanted to try and help us to understand why it is included and what the scripture says about it. But we're not going to spend most of our time there this morning. Instead, we're going to talk about a glorious resurrection. It's Easter Sunday today, if you didn't know that, right? And, and I can tell by some of the songs, He arose, Christ is risen, the victory is won. What's so important about the resurrection? Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? Wasn't, wasn't the price paid in full on Calvary's cross? It was. Jesus said it is finished. The victory was won. I, I love the song, uh, David Crowder, where he says, The cross meant for death is my victory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 and 19, he gives us an explanation of 
why the resurrection is so essential to our faith. Because he writes, And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ had been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are the most to be pitied. Paul highlights different things about the resurrection. He says, listen, if Christ did not come back to life, if he did not come back from the dead, then your preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. You are all false witnesses and liars. If Christ did not come back from the dead, you are still dead in your sins. If Christ did not come back from the dead, all of those who died putting their faith in Christ are lost forever. And if Christ didn't come back from the dead, the Christian life is pointless. So why is the resurrection so important? But before we, before we answer that, and we'll get to that in a minute, how do we know that the resurrection really happened? Last week we talked about how Jesus died, his earthly, his earthly body completely died, he was buried in the tomb. We looked at the phrase, he descended to hell, which d d to clarify Jesus did not go to any place of torture. He did not descend to hell, right? Even if you hold the view of Hades, he went to paradise, right? And so it's important to clarify that. But how do we know that now we're talking about this resurrection, how do we know that Jesus actually came back from the dead? Because there are some, some crazy stories out there that he really didn't come back from the dead. Did you know that? There's one called the grave robbing theory where, where the disciples broke in, moved the stone, stole Jesus' body so that people would actually think that he rose from the dead. <coughs> Excuse me. There's another one where <coughs> people believe that, that Jesus on the cross, he, he took a drink and that the drink had some type of poison in it that was going to shut down his body for a temporary amount of time, three days, <laughs> and that after three days, the poison would wear off and he would come back from the dead. So how do we really know that Jesus came back from the dead? I think scripture... And we'll look at that in a minute. Scripture gives us more than enough evidence to prove without a shadow of a doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the first thing. So, so the New Testament gives us multiple witnesses that Christ engages with once he is resurrected. We know that he was completely dead. Even Pontius Pilate was surprised at how fast Christ died on the cross. It speaks to, I believe, the amount of torture that he had taken and abuse that he had taken. But even Pontius Pilate couldn't believe how fast Christ died. He was dead. His earthly body had died. But in the resurrection, when he comes back to life, he appears to Mary Magdalene in John 20, Mary and the other woman in John 28, Peter, Luke 24, 1 Corinthians 15, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, the ten apostles in Luke 24, the eleven apostles in John 20, the seven apostles in John 21, all of the apostles in Matthew 28, the 500 disciples in 1 Corinthians 15, James in 1 Corinthians 15, and again to all the apostles in Acts 
chapter 1. He appeared to person after person after person. It wasn't that there was this one person who said, listen, I saw Jesus. God gives us evidence to prove the historicity of the resurrection that Jesus came back to life. He fell to person after person. There was witness after witness after witness after witness. Hundreds of witnesses. Something else that we see that proves, I believe, the resurrection is the life change in the disciples. If you remember last week, we talked about um, how, if you remember the illustration of when you turn on a light and you watch cockroaches kind of scatter, if you've ever seen that happen before, right? I, I once heard of a, of a home inspector and he said how, uh, or a, a kitchen inspector person, he would go into different restaurants and he said some restaurants you turn the light on and you can just see the cockroaches go poof. I won't tell you which restaurant. But we see a similar thing with the disciples. Not that they were cockroaches, but they disappear when things get hard like that. Except for John the Cleric. So why in the world would these men, who when times got tough and Jesus got arrested, they're gone, they disappear. Peter denies Jesus. Why the sudden life change for them? Why all of a sudden do they become martyrs for the faith? Why do they become bold and are willing to be imprisoned and endure forms of torture? Why? Why would they ever do that if the person who had promised and said, I will come back to life, didn't. I, I don't know about you, but, but if, if Jesus said that he was going to come back to life and he talked about all of these different things and then he never comes back, well, it makes you reevaluate things, doesn't it? But we see a dramatic life change in the disciples. A boldness that we haven't seen before. A willingness to, you know, Peter said, I will die for you, but then things get tough and he runs away. And now Peter is actually willing to go to prison and die for Jesus. Why? Because this Jesus came back to life and Peter could see him with his own eyes and touch him with his own hands and speak to him and hear his voice. And we could go on and on looking at different things with the resurrection. I hope you know... <coughs> And I hope you see the, the historicity of the resurrection, how it's a provable fact, not a theory. God has given us so many different ways that we can be confident in knowing that Jesus Christ is risen. The resurrection shows us the immense power of God. In the human world, what is more final than death? But see, we serve the only God to whom death has no power, who is more powerful than death itself. There was a story in the early 1920s. There was a man by the name of Nikolai Berkarin, let's say, and he was sent from Moscow to Kiev to address a vast anti-God rally. And for an hour, he, he abused and ridiculed the Christian faith until it seemed like the whole structure of belief was in ruins. Sounds a little bit like what we hear in other places, isn't it? Tearing apart Christianity piece by piece. 
at the end he invited questions. Questions were invited, and there was a priest who was of the Orthodox Church, and um, the priest asked to speak, and the priest turns and faces the people, and he gave them the ancient Easter greeting, which is this. He said, Christ is risen. And everybody in the whole room stood to their feet, much to the dismay of this guy up here, and said, he is risen indeed. See, the the resurrection is so key and so important to our faith. Why? Because if Jesus didn't rise, our preaching was in vain. But because he rose, we preach without stopping. If Jesus didn't rise, Paul writes, our faith is in vain. But because Christ rose, we believe with hope and confidence, knowing that Jesus rose again. Paul says that if Jesus didn't rise, we will be false witnesses. But knowing that Jesus did rise, We testify with more boldness than ever. Paul writes that if Jesus didn't rise, you are still in your sins. But see, knowing that Jesus did rise, we have confidence that our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven and erased once and for all. (coughs) Paul writes that if Christ didn't rise, then those who put their faith in Christ have no hope beyond the grave. But because Christ did rise, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Because we know that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, we will see them again. Paul writes that without faith in Christ, we are most to be pitied. But because Christ rose again, life is worth living. I remember standing at the graveside of my nan in 2012 when uh, she passed away from some different things and um, she passed away so suddenly it was, it was really traumatic for our family, a really difficult time, but I remember looking at her casket outside uh, in the cemetery and beside where her casket was to be buried, we're standing there. And, and as oftentimes in funerals, even though we grieve as those who have, we do not grieve as those who have no hope, there are still emotions involved and it's sad and it's, it's difficult. And I remember standing there as we're crying. And I remember when one of my mom or my dad, I can't remember, started singing, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Do you know that song? Let's sing that together. Because he lives. All fear is gone, because I know who holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. I love Bill and Gloria Gaither. I love the Gaithers. I don't know if you like the Gaithers or not, but man, it is so encouraging and uplifting to listen to them. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living. Just because he lives. Summarizes what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. 
It summarizes the change in the life of the disciples, going from those who had run away to those who are now standing and boldly proclaiming that Christ died for you and he lives again. And then Paul, a little bit farther in chapter 15, writes the verse that we hold on to as believers. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Christ is risen. That's foundational to our faith. There's no wiggle room in that. And because he is risen, you and I have hope for tomorrow. Because he is risen, all the words that he said were proven to be true. Our God has power over life and death itself. Would you pray with me? Father, what an encouraging thing to remember. That we have victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. That because he lives, we can truly face tomorrow. And that fear can be gone because he lives. Because we know who holds the future. And at times life is hard to live. But we can rest in the fact that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the suffering that Christ endured on the cross. We've done nothing to deserve any penalty paid for us. But you've given it so freely. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. For demonstrating that you have power over death itself, that not even the grave can hold the Son of God. Father, help us to live out that truth. Lord, as as Paul writes, may we become even more bold because the resurrection is true. May we preach louder. May we speak, Father, the truth that people need to hear. May it always be